politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze Media early in the morning, post-election day, and I don't even know what time of day it is. I cannot keep track. I got two hours of sleep last night, and I guess that's better than usual. Last time I got zero hours of sleep, so I'll count my lucky stars with that. At least I didn't have to be up with the baby last night. But anyway, folks, I sense you guys are mad, and I'm mad too. We have been cheated, except I don't mean it in the exact same way that a lot of my colleagues on this network are going to assert, allege. There may have been some problems in certain states, depending on the state. I don't know what the outcome will be. I don't think any of us do at this point. On the one hand, it's a lot better than anyone was really predicting. But I think a lot of us felt towards the end that Trump was going to win. Roughly along certain contours. The election had a lot of quirks. I predicted ultimately that it wouldn't be... The polls would be wrong, but on the other hand, it wouldn't be a Trump wave. It would be roughly the 2016 map, give or take. And I think I was right in that general sense, although the give... And the take was very, very bizarre. Um, And maybe if we have time, we'll get into that. But the only place where I think I really bombed was Minnesota. Trump really lost it by a large margin. I'm not sure why, given the fact that um, they flipped two house seats there and, you know, all sorts of things. But we could talk about that a different time. Today was going to be the show discussing where we go from here. And I was really looking forward to it, no matter what the result would be. As I said yesterday, election day is the hardest show to do because everything you talk about becomes obsolete in a couple of hours. Well, unfortunately, today is even harder because things are still up in the air. But what I'm going to tell you today is not up in the air. It's enduring. And it has been enduring to varying degrees easily for 20 years in this country. And it crystallized last night. I don't mean that we have been cheated necessarily in Michigan, in Atlanta, and potentially what they plan on doing to erase Trump's lead completely in Pennsylvania. Maybe, maybe not. There are some questions. There are some ways that, you know, the voting makes sense. And we'll find out. But I think what bothers you guys is this. You see, everything that has occurred to us is cheating the last generation. We have been cheated of our country. We have been cheated of our culture. We've been cheated of our constitution, of our laws that are duly passed. And the Democrats cheat and cheat and cheat and cheat. And then once in a while, they'll win something legitimately out of those five levels of cheating. And it'll be like, well, Daniel, you know, it's fair and square. What are you going to do? It's the laws in the books. Kind of like with illegal aliens and criminals. They'll violate the Constitution and the law a hundred times, the courts. 
And then suddenly when we have the ramifications, well, they got due process, nothing you can do. We have watched our entire lifetime so many elections that have have for sure been stolen. I'm, I come from Maryland. I was enlightened to politics when I was a young kid in 1994 when we had the Gingrich Revolution. Republicans took back both houses. And even in Maryland, which it wasn't nearly as blue as it is today, but it was always very Democrat. Ellen Sauerbrey won the governorship only to have late in the night just enough votes to give the Democrat a 5,000-vote lead in Baltimore City, which is where they always get their votes, despite her leading all night. And there, we will always know that that was absolutely stolen. It was, it was pulled out of thin air. That was 100% clear. You know, some are suggesting, and we will find out, that, look, you know, Democrats might start pulling games in Pennsylvania with ballots that were mailed in post-election day. But, you know, right now, based on what we see with the ballots outstanding in Pennsylvania and the ballots that seem to have flipped Michigan and Wisconsin for the Democrats... Well, they they were fair and square. They were before Election Day. Obviously, in Michigan, more so than Wisconsin, there's questions of certain votes, certain dumps that were literally 100% Biden votes, which even if you want to say this year is different because of the polarization with most of the Democrat base voting through mail-in, you know, it couldn't be 100-0, that much we know. But we'll, we'll find out. But my answer to that is this. The reason why we have this mail-in scheme is only because of 10 layers of cheating that has existed and has persisted for 10 to 20 years now. That has existed in the courts where the Democrats seem to have one rule of engagement. They win, we lose. No matter what happens. They always seem to win. What happened last night is emblematic of that. It's like no matter what, oh, there was a a, a pipe burst in Atlanta. Of course, it's going to be in Atlanta, not any other part of Georgia. And we're going to go home and stop counting, not even two, three in the morning. Which, of course, in a country like this, we should be going through the night with an issue this important. But at 1030 at night there. And of course, the ballots always flip one way. And of course... The last several election cycles, when there were 10, sometimes 15, 20 House seats where Republicans were ahead in the House seats, they all flipped, every one of them, after election night. Mail-in ballots. Well, Daniel, I understand you think some of it could be, there are some fraudulent problems, but some of it's fair and square. And, you know, they just beat us at at the game better and they, they game it out better. But the problem is, the way the Democrats got to second and third base is because they cheated to get to first base. The way their voting anomalies have become a thing culturally and also legally in some states is only because of the court system. Let's not forget 
that in North Carolina, so last night, the Democrat governor won re-election fair and square. The problem is, he was only governor to begin with because four years ago, he won solely from a margin of victory composed of harvested ballots that pursuant to North Carolina law on the books is illegal, but the Fourth Circuit came in there. I cannot tell you how many elections we have lost as a result of lower courts that for years have given illegitimate, cheating, lying opinions against the law, against Constitution, and really against Supreme Court precedent. And the Supreme Court never affirmed it, but they always get away with it. You know, even after the Supreme Court ruled that courts can't get involved in redistricting, the damage was done in North Carolina. Democrats netted two seats from that. It was too late. And notice how funny it was in Maryland, there were two cases, Maryland and North Carolina. Maryland, it was Republicans complaining about a Democrat gerrymander. North Carolina was Democrats complaining about Republicans. And the Supreme Court basically threw them both out and said, look, we're not getting involved in this stuff anymore. But the funny thing was, in Maryland, I live in the most gerrymandered district. We never got any relief. It's always one-sided. They always get what they want. They always come out on top. Sometimes it's legitimate, but it's because of years worth of illegitimate gains in election law in the courts. And, and that creates a momentum tilting the politics of the entire state over time. We're going to talk about some of that. That gets us to the position we're in today. When I was a kid, absentee ballot was absentee ballot. Often you have to have a good excuse. A businessman goes on a trip. So you mail it in. But the notion of elections taking place largely largely through mail, everyone understood is a recipe for fraud. It's so much harder to verify. And to the extent we're going to do it, we had to have verification. And one after another, the courts have been undoing duly passed laws by states. And that has delegitimized those laws so other states don't even pass them. And remember, elections go back and forth. Let's say, you know, it's 50-50. You take a look at states like North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. They go back and forth. The governorships, Republicans have had the state legislature for a while, but the governorships go back and forth. So you want to tell me every time the Democrats get in, they get their stuff. Okay, but if you fight to get your stuff to win an election, then you get your stuff. But no, every time Republicans legitimately win the election, the results get overturned, if not the actual election results, but the policies, because they go to the courts, not to overturn the election results, but to overturn the laws they pass. I'll never forget a super activist I knew in North Carolina had tears in her eyes when she called me and she mailed me a picture of signs outside North Carolina voting stations two years ago saying you don't have to use photo ID. They worked so hard at a, at a grassroots level to work the democratic process to get a common sense verification system in place for the degree to which we require to literally do anything 
private or public and you know motor vehicle um banking whatever you show a photo id they fought so hard. Do you know how many votes Democrats have illegitimately gotten and continue to illegitimately get every election? Because they get to cheat. Do you see what I'm saying? People forget about this. I don't know what happened last night. We'll find out. I don't know what will happen. I don't know what legitimately happened and whether it was legitimately stolen if Trump will succeed. I don't know. But what I do know is We've been taking this cheating where the Democrats have a system where they, where they only have to win one thing and we have to win everything all the time. Let's talk about Arizona a little bit. No matter what, I mean, the Trump campaign seems to believe pretty emphatically, and I think there is some evidence that they will win narrowly if the votes are actually counted. But I think we all agree that Arizona has really, really slipped the last five or so years. Very rapidly. And, you know, you think, well, that's fair and square. I mean, you know, you're losing the state. But folks, anyone who knows anything about the courts knows there's a million cases via Arizona. Every single thing the Republicans passed when they legitimately held the power for the last 20 years on immigration, on citizenship verification. So both in terms of deterring illegals from coming to the state, from remaining in the state, from getting into the public schools, from getting on public benefits, from getting birthright citizenship, from then voting, voting without verification, every single thing they've done has been thrown out by the courts. Every single thing. So that has created a velocity of more... Democrat votes that shouldn't have been there and not just a, a an electoral gerrymander but a but a cultural and demographic gerrymander in that state that even if if over a course of 20 years maybe it would have shifted a little bit left maybe we don't know certainly wouldn't have shifted that far left so you're going to have a lot of highbrow virtue signaling of all the republican thumbsuckers on twitter and the phony conservative Oh, you know, Trump should concede and and this is not, you know, he's alleging fraud where there's no thing and this is this and and let's just come together. I'm sick of coming together. <clears throat> I'm sick of them lying, cheating and stealing. It's like they'll violate a hundred tenets of immigration law of the Constitution and then take one aspect of it and, and read it like literal to the nth degree as long as they win. And, and you saw it last night where you had states where Trump was way ahead of where Biden was ahead in those states and they called those states for him. And this is not, you say, well, it doesn't matter. The votes get cast, but it, it does matter because this is a political fight of legitimacy of a narrative after last night. And by calling Arizona... But then, so basically it was like, well, you know, no, Trump doesn't have Michigan and Wisconsin because the votes are still being counted. And we think they're mail-ins and they're going to benefit Biden. So let's wait. Okay. Well, by the same token, in Arizona, there's still votes to be counted and they appear to be election day votes and they break broke for Trump. 
two-thirds to one-third. So let's wait to see if they're counted because maybe he'll overtake the lead. No, they call call it for, for Biden. So what that did is it hurt his narrative. Headed out of the night. It's very clear, like, oh, Biden basically won. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to do that. Because <clears throat> people are seeing they get what they want. They lie about the polls. They lie about the models. They lie about coronavirus data. <clears throat> they lie, cheat, and steal to get whatever they want. Talking about letting the people decide. Do you know that in 32 states, despite being outspent 10 to 1 in the early 2000s, they voted, and many of them, majority of them with super majorities, to affirm that marriage is between a man and a woman. In comes the courts, throws it all out. They win, everything they win is through cheating. And we failed to fight judicial supremacism. We failed to fight these illegitimate things. Okay, I guess you could ballot harvest. Okay, I guess you could vote without photo ID when we know they're cheating, when we know they're filling this stuff out. So whether those specific data dumps were illegitimate or whether they were just a reflection of a unique circumstance of most Democrats voting through mail-in, we know there is a built-in amount of cheating in every election that we lose. Because we do not have voter integrity. That is the reality. This is a long-term problem. But it's with the courts too. When it comes to states trying to enforce immigration law, oh no, that's a federal issue. A state can't agree with the feds. But if a state wants to literally nullify federal immigration law, well, it's a state that has the right to do what they want. Speaking of Arizona and voting and gay marriage, the same week in 2015 that they passed gay marriage, the courts, as if a court could pass gay marriage, overriding 32 state ballot referenda, they had a case, we talked about this last week, with um, where basically the voters had a referendum and they passed it overwhelmingly to have a, an independent commission. And it sounds very nice. So people get fooled by it to draw the districts. So let, let's just put, you know, before I get to the main point, just the side point, notice how it's always in our states, we can't benefit from the fruits of the labor of winning the legislature and politically controlling the system it has to be an independent commission. Okay, so fine. Let's have an independent commission in all 50 states. No. Where Democrats have control, like where I'm in Maryland, they will rape the Republican counties. They'll take gerrymandering to the next level and they'll get away with it. Suddenly it's not so independent. It's always one-sided. It's always one-sided. One rule of engagement, they win, we lose. But what's funny is the same week of Obergefell in June 2015, so you had this case where the state legislature took, you know, went to court and was like, look, it's very nice that the people went out and voted, but, you know, ballot referendums are powerful and the people have a strong say, but there are certain things that you have to follow the Constitution unless you amend it. And the Constitution is abundantly clear 
that only a state legislature has control over redistricting. And if a state legislature you know, has a map, even if the voters want to vote, you know, b- ballot referendums are important and they have a lot of latitude, but it can't violate the Constitution. Suddenly, oh my gosh, a five to four majority of the court, they extolled the, the virtues of the people coming together to take back their government and decide for themselves to have independent-minded people draw those districts. And ironically, it was even John Roberts noted this observation and his dissent in this case. He was like, just this week, you guys shredded 32 state ballot referenda on an issue that lies at the nexus of procreation and civilization. They do whatever they need to win. States are worthless. The federal courts could uphold rights. So states can't regulate abortion. States can't set election law, photo ID. States can't define marriage. So we're like, okay, so maybe states are nothing. So now that states are imposing all this tyranny, shutting down life, liberty, and property for corona communism, maybe we could benefit. Maybe we, maybe we could turn to the courts. No, talk to the hand. Governors have wide latitude and can do whatever they want. It's an emergency. They win, we lose. Every single time. Like I said, I could live with losing national elections and Democrats controlling the White House and Congress and whatever else. And Democrats flipping and more and more turning more states blue. But at least there'll be some states we can go to where we can have the culture, the economy, the liberties the way we want. But we're disenfranchised in two ways. Number one, Republicans suck. So they don't do anything with it. And the few things they do Democrats come in and overturn the election results and have the courts come in and do what they want. So you want to live in a state without the homosexual agenda, the transgender stuff, crime, criminal aliens, and you want to pass laws to deal with that? You want to pass laws ensuring that we could verify who you are when you vote to the same degree we verify who you are to do anything that is much less important to the country and the civilization? Nope, you can't do that. This is the problem. This is why I think you're all frustrated. None of you want to be intellectually honest and like, you know, assert fraud where there's no, where we don't necessarily have evidence. What I'm saying is even if there was no evidence just of this whole thing of just, you know, He's ahead in all these states, and then they stop the counting for whatever reason. But then, in the middle of the night, then resuming it, you wake up and suddenly it's flipped. You have batches of votes that that don't even account for even the lopsided result of the mail-ins. And again, folks, if you remember... I did an entire article on election day. 
before before um the elections on the on the constitution on the laws of election day and how everything they're doing with the mail in it violates the constitution it's like sometimes democrats will win something i'll be like well daniel you know they 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 won they won there's nothing you can do i'm fine with that but not when it violates the Constitution, and then the very violations of the Constitution allow them to win more elections. <clears throat> I wrote a book, as you well know, 2016, Stolen Sovereignty. And I talked about judicial supremacism and how our sovereignty is stolen, our national sovereignty, but also our individual sovereignty of self-governance is stolen by judicial supremacism And I noted at the time that not only do they render elections moot by deciding every policy issue and deciding it against us, always against us, even when the jurisprudence behind it conflicts each other, the outcome is always the same. They win, we lose. But we won't be able to win elections anymore because the courts are deciding election law. You know, and then you're going to hear a lot if this goes to the Supreme Court. Well, Trump is taking it to the Supreme Court. But part of that is only because they're they're the ones who brought it to the courts to begin with to get this whole scam of somehow with coronavirus, you could just violate state procedures and rules. On, they're like, Daniel, they played by the rules, whether you like it or not. They were very successful in getting a strong mail-in vote and they got it. And it's a tough thing to watch. While, while the, you know, it looks like you're doing good and suddenly it flips, but it's fair and square. They're right, but they're also wrong. Even assuming there's no other cheating, and there might be, but I'm saying, let's say there isn't. They only got this off the ground through the ultimate cheating, which is violating the election laws of those state legislatures. Whether it was a mixture of the state Lower federal courts, the governors, the secretaries of state. That's the problem. This is the point Scalia made in Gore v. Bush. He's like, I really don't like the idea of getting involved in this and the courts somehow de facto deciding it. But he's like, dude, the courts messed this up. Bush had the election and the Florida Supreme Court messed up a federal election. So they had to get involved. The other side is the one who took it to the courts first. To get what they want. Now, I don't know this as of now, but as of this recording, there is a very strong case to say that absent any cheating, even if we put Wisconsin and Michigan aside and say that's all legitimate, Wisconsin appears to be more legitimate than Michigan. He should win Arizona and Pennsylvania, and that would be enough. But that's the thing. This whole ability of them to successfully turn them out with the mail-ins, and they were more successful than I thought. And good for them. I get it. But that's only if you go to the state legislature and you work hard to win a legislative body in elections so that you could pass these laws the way we did, but had everything overturned 
and you didn't win it, but you could just go to the courts and get it anyway. That's the issue there. That's what's so annoying. And then, folks, there's another thing that bothers me about cheating. And that is early voting. And you might say, well, Daniel, I mean, look, you know, these are all laws on the books. You might not like early voting, but, you know, Democrats do good with it. And they have it, and you got to, you know, you got to beat them. Um, so here's what I have to say to that. Democrats have only gotten to this point because the courts have mandated early voting in so many states. So conservatives gave up the fight. It became a fait. It was like gay marriage. So then they lost it everywhere. In other words, basically what happens and this is not just with election law, it's with every sphere of law is this. An issue starts out 100-0. Like, you know, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. No one thinks that a guy with a penis is really a woman. Democrats will start pushing a novel idea like a dude is a woman or an illegal alien is really a citizen. And it, you know, it gains hold with 5, 10, 15% of the population and they keep growing it. But it's still very much a minority view. 25, 30% becomes a significant minority. But there's a very clear, impervious majority against it. That's when they start, at that critical point, when it's the most important for the democratic process to play out, that's when they go to the courts and they get the courts to start ruling that it has to be done this way. So that gives an aura of legitimacy. It also practically makes it happen. So it becomes a fait accompli. It looks inevitable. And the dominoes just fall. And then even in red states where they have the legislature, they just give up. I can't tell you how many things Republican legislatures and governors have often said they weren't willing to pass and sign and even embark on because they didn't feel they had the money and time to fight it in court and they figured they were going to lose anyway. They preemptively didn't even pass something because they knew the courts would screw with them. A lower court, mind you. Democrats have built their entire electorate off voter fraud, off vitiating standards that we've all agreed to. And number two with early voting, early voting is unconstitutional. Meaning I firmly believe even if a state wanted to pass it and did pass it on the books, it's unconstitutional because the Constitution, now they could, they could have it for state you know, statewide elections, but for federal elections, there is one election day. That was set in 1845, the first Tuesday after the first Monday, November, for presidential elections. In 1872, Congress added it for House elections, and the 17th Amendment of the Constitution, ratified about 100 years ago, applied that to Senate elections. They, Senate, House, and President shall take place on election day. The great constitutional historian Joseph Story wrote that when Congress first designated the date for choosing the electors in 1792, 
it was in pursuance of the authority given by the election by, by the election clause of the Constitution. When defending the election clause from those who felt that it gave the federal government too much power, right? So a lot of people were bothered. Well, what, what are you, why, why are you allowing the feds to control the elections? Former North Carolina Governor Richard Dobbs Spade gave a robust defense at the North Carolina Ratification Convention July 26, 1788. And he said... I'm surprised that the gentleman objected, this is the person he was debating, to the power of Congress to determine the time of choosing the electors and not to that of the fixing the day of the election of the president. That the power in the one case could not possibly answer the purpose of uniformity without having it in the other. That the power in both cases could be exercised properly only by one general superintending power that if Congress had not this power, there would be no uniformity at all. And a great deal of time would be taken in order to agree upon the time. They wanted uniformity. Why did they want uniformity? In 1871, Representative Benjamin Butler, Republican from Massachusetts, spoke on the House floor about the need for a uniform voting day. And he said, if you didn't have one, quote, we may have a canvas going on all over the union at different times. And he said it would give it, quote, an undue advantage to some. Boy, do we see that today. He talked about the announcement of vote results in some states would help influence the momentum in other elections. He seemed to hint to that. Joseph Story talked about the need for a uniform day was, quote, self-evident. Every reason of public policy and convenience seems in favor of a fixed time of giving the electoral votes and that it should be the same throughout the union. Such a measure is calculated to repress political intrigues and speculations by rendering a combination among the electoral colleges as to their votes, if not utterly impracticable, at least very difficult. And this secures the people against those ready expedients which corruption never fails to employ to accomplish its designs. And that's this whole note of, hey, how far am I behind? How many more melons do I need to make up the margin? Senator Alan Thurman, during the debate on the 1872 election law, Democrat from Ohio, I think as a general principle, it is best to have our elections on the same day whenever we can. We provide long ago by law that the election of electors of president and vice president should take place on the same day throughout the United States. And for the same reason, we may well provide that the election of member of Congress shall take place on the same day. Whenever you provide that election shall take place upon the same day, you do interpose a not inconsiderable check to frauds in elections, to double voting, to transmission of voters from one state to another, and you do allow the people to vote for the representatives undisturbed by considerations which they ought not to take into account. Notice that, that you ought not to take into account. And that leads me to another thing. You know, a lot of people have noted that Trump seemed to have closed strong, and I think the polls showed that, because everyone thought he was behind and he did much better. We thought he would do even better, but, you know, he did much better. At the end of the day, they still are confident that they won Arizona and Pennsylvania, and that would do it. Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and holding Arizona, that would be, I mean, I'm not saying for sure, but that would be the win. 
a lot of people seem to be very inspired by the rallies. I was very surprised. I know members of my family expressed that, that the biggest thing they were impressed with were the rallies. That kind of, you know, because most of my extended family really doesn't like Trump. Not from a Lincoln Project, never Trumper perspective, more from just, you know, some of the stuff we talk about ideologically, but also they just, they don't like his personality so much and just some of the, you know, maybe self-aggrandizement and things like that. But they very much felt like he really humbly reached out to the people the old-fashioned way. Now, overwhelmingly, people decided their vote long ago. But this was a close election, and people did decide. How many people in Wisconsin and Michigan, states like that, voted early, but perhaps would have changed their vote? You render the verdict after everyone sees the same trial and evidence and weighs the arguments, and you render a verdict. I'm not even making a a conservative versus liberal argument here. Because there there are times it could swing different ways. You know, it doesn't necessarily benefit one side. And also this is true in primaries where it's nonpartisan. It's within the same party. Let's say a Democrat, like if you're a Democrat listening and you're into early voting, think about you have a Democrat that you like in a primary and he has low name ID and there's another one with a high name ID and he's ahead most of the time. The last week, the other guy really starts to gain traction. But 60% of the votes are cast before anyone ever heard of the guy. This is a very common problem in, in primaries. Early voting, in my view, violates the essence of the word election day in the Constitution. It doesn't even... I don't even think you need to get fancy with legal arguments. It just fails to meet the definition of election day. It's utterly insane. So this is why I think so many people don't even give a darn of what the facts are, what happened in in Michigan or whatever, in Atlanta. We'll have to see what's with that. They've just had it. Remember, Democrats are North Carolina. It was such a dogfight for Republicans to win the governorship there, you know, earlier last decade. And the um, supermajorities in the legislature, they worked so hard for that. They flipped the state. They worked so hard. And more than most states, they, they seem to accomplish things in passing. Every single thing they did got thrown out. And that helped create a blue wave in many ways. And this all leads to the final point which is part of why we have this dynamic of they win, we lose, is because who's the we? Republicans. I mean, we're not Republicans. The Republicans allow it to happen. One of the biggest things that occurred last night was that Fox News was more obnoxious to Trump than MSNBC. And they were wrongly calling things before they should be called. Even, even if you think ultimately Biden was going to win, you got to let that play out. It's irresponsible, and everyone agrees to that. And I was thinking, and I saw all these people, I was like, yeah, you finally realized what I've been saying for years. Fox News is not just moderate or phony Republican. They are subversive. They are more damaging to our agenda than MSNBC. They are more subversive 
and perfidious than anything the other networks could do. Yet they have been given the status of guardian and gatekeeper of Republican politics, of conservative politics, of Republican primaries. They play kingmaker. They run our debates. I'd like to see the RNC, Rona McDaniel, get up there and say, we will not allow Fox to participate in the next Republican primary presidential debates. Where we go from here? That's the question. Now that is going to depend a little bit on what happens here. And what we need is a divorce from these people. You can't put conservatism in a party that it doesn't exist. Now, there's a lot of other things to talk about that I'm frankly out of energy, out of a voice. But one of them, I'm going to have an article out today. Trump called Hispanics dirty, racist, and murderers. Now, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. He didn't. But that is what has been broadcast from the ruling class, the political elites, We've been told our whole lives, my whole career dealing with the border sovereignty immigration issue, that we're losing Hispanics because we don't pander enough on open borders and illegal immigration. And if we would only do that, we'd win their vote. And they could never win it. In comes Trump and breaks every one of their rules. And Trump won historic margins with Hispanics. But I don't think... Some of you might have missed this. It's more than you think. Trump won Hispanics on the border, the border counties. We have talked about the RGV, the Rio Grande Valley, the cross-cultural ties, the cartels. These counties are over 90% Hispanic, many of them dual citizens, even a lot of illegal immigration mixed in, products of anchor babies, not all of them, but I'm saying that it's there. They travel back and forth. They have family back and forth. They own land right on the border. And we were told for years, you can never put a border wall in Texas, which is why it was only in California and Arizona until recently, because they don't want it. And Trump started erecting a border wall there. What was Trump's most notorious thing? A border wall, especially if you're a Hispanic living in a border county. I mean, you can't miss it. Those counties were the most Democrat counties, some of them in Texas, more so than even Houston. And in the case of Star County, I would venture to say one of the top five Democrat counties in the entire country. Hillary, The Rio Grande Valley is composed of three counties, Star, Hidalgo, and Cameron. Hillary won Star by 60 so like 80-20. One Hidalgo by 41 and one Cameron by 32. Star County is 96% Hispanic. Hidalgo is 92. Cameron is 90. Okay? Trump lost Star County by five points. In other words, Trump swung 
a 96% Hispanic county on the border that goes back and forth from Mexico on a platform of build the damn wall. He won a swing, a net swing of 55 points. He lost Hidalgo by just 17 and Cameron by 13. He did better than George W. Bush, who was a very popular governor of the state with deep ties to Hispanics and Mexico, as we well know, before he became president. You go up to Zapata County, you go a little bit out of the RGV, you start climbing west along the river there. 94% Hispanic. Trump is actually in the lead as the votes are still being counted, by five points. He lost it by 33 last time. He also flipped Valverde County. He even improved his margin by six points in El Paso, the hometown of Beto O'Rourke. Folks, what that tells me for the future is, well, let me just give you one other data point. On the bad side, basically the upshot of the election is this. Trump did historically well with, as we knew, with white, non-college educated. He did a little bit better with blacks, plus maybe lower turnout of blacks in some places. And much better with Hispanics, but really like in the Texas border counties, insanely better. Downright almost like, you know, winning well over 40% of the Hispanic vote. But on the other hand, where he got nailed is with white independence. Republicans did the worst they've ever done. There's no real evidence, at least in the exit polling, of crossover Republicans. There's a lot of talk of that. He did as well with Republicans as Biden did with Dems. And and in many states, Republicans actually out turned out, I mean, turned out more Republicans than they they did Democrats. They got crushed with white independence. That's a travesty because independents are like you and me. The fact that voters are increasingly registering independent is a good thing. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of independents that are Democrats and all but name only. There's a lot of independents that are to the left of the Democrats that they're independent. Independent means nothing. It's not affiliated. So it could be your Green Party type of guy. You think the Democrats aren't left enough. But there's a whole lot of people And then some are like us, like people like some of this audience and me, where we're to the right of the Republican Party. But then there's a whole lot of people that are just kind of like, they don't really like either party. This is where we see if we had an independent-minded party. We could create a massive new coalition. Remember, Trump did very well, but then he did very bad with suburban independent white voters But that's not because they're buying the garbage the left is selling. That everyone knows that's all they don't like his personality. If you would take that out of the equation, if you look at the issues of crime and the border wall and things like that, imagine if we had a party and a movement that spoke to that. I always wondered, I I always knew that we could hold suburbs and do much better with the Perot white voters if we had our type of third party. What I was never sure about is with the black and Hispanic vote. I always was wondering, I said to myself, look, is it that they're married to the Democrat party or is it just that the Republican brand is toxic? 
And I think we're seeing more and more as the fight of our time hinges upon cultural Marxism. There's a large share of blacks and Hispanics that don't buy that. But the Republican brand is so toxic. But Trump is so independent and unique and stands on his own that he's, it's kind of like Republicans, Democrats, and Trump that I think they felt comfortable voting for him. Imagine if you had a party and some leaders and figures that had that appeal and just took some of the edge off, not the policies and the rigorous debate, but just some of the kind of, you know, you know, all, you know, the stuff that Trump says and does sometimes that just turns people off. Again, I'm not defending people that sit and vote are willing to allow cultural Marxists to win because you're offended by Trump being, you know, say, you know, talking about himself too much. But it is what it is. It's the people we have. It's the electorate we have. There's a lot of points there. We'll see what happens here. But at the very least, you can't blame Trump for fighting on and seeing this through, much to the chagrin of all these phony conservative pundits, because everything that has allowed Democrats to get to the position they are is built upon cheating. Anyway, send me your questions, comments, concerns. I'm going to do a full hour with Steve Dace. Got to run. Look, either way, we got to turn to God. We got to look within. The solution, no matter what, is not with these last ballots being counted. It's with something much greater that we pray God has in store for all of us. God bless you and thank you for listening.